Greetings, I'm John Duvall. Welcome to another Truth Factor discussion. We are currently studying through the, the book of Romans. Study through Romans. I told you last week I'd have something prettier on the screen, and maybe that works. I'd like to thank you so much for joining us for our study today. We'll I'll get underway here in just a moment, but Paul, if you would let everyone know how they can participate in today's study. I'd be happy to do that. If you're looking through any of the uh, kind of social media platforms like YouTube, you can search for Truth Factor Live. Same thing on Facebook, Truth Factor Live. Uh, even Twitter, uh, we have Truth Factor Live. You can go to our website, which is truthfactor.com, and look at the live viewing page. And you can send us emails. Uh, if you'd like to send it to the whole group, maybe a question or a comment, you can send that to questions at truthfactorlive.com. Or you can use any of our names like Tom, Brian, Mike, John, Paul at truthfactor.com and we can get uh, emails that way as well. <clears throat> and we uh, really appreciate you watching today, uh, participating in this study. We love to introduce your comments and have your interaction throughout the course of this study. Uh, we also ask you that if you uh, do enjoy the study, that if you're on YouTube in particular, that you might subscribe uh, to the Truth Factor, uh, Truth Factor Live page and even click the bell for the notifications, and that'll be really helpful to us. All righty. Thank you, Paul. I appreciate that very much for introducing our um, how we communicate with everybody, and we'd like to hear from you. So let's go ahead, and Tom, let me bring you up on the screen here. And we're about to undergo Romans chapter 2, and Tom has volunteered to guide the study today. So, Tom, I will turn it over to you. All right. Okay. Well, uh, yeah, like I said, we're, we're studying Romans chapter two today and, and basically we're in the midst of, a, of uh, Paul's introduction, which really consisted of three chapters where he's basically identifying that everybody is sinners. And in chapter one, what we dealt with last week was how Gentiles and, and he talked about some of the depraved behaviors that were associated with the idea of being a Gentile, but not all Gentiles did those things. Uh, in chapter two, Paul turns it in the direction of Jews, and he begins to make the point that he wants to emphasize throughout this book, which is how salvation is available to everyone, and, and God's not looking at whether you're a Jew or a Gentile anymore. So, so uh, uh, And uh, that's what we deal with in this chapter. So we want to go ahead and get started. And what we're going to do is it, uh, the, the first 11 verses, we're dealing with the judgment of God and how it is going to apply to everybody and how God expects you to be consistent. So if I could get somebody, let's see, in Romans chapter 2, verses 1 through 11, uh, let's go ahead and get started here. And uh, um, uh, uh, Paul, can I get you to read those verses for me? Uh, certainly, Tom, I'll be happy to do that. I believe he said Romans chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. Is that correct? Yes. Okay. I'm reading on the New King James Version. And so if you read along with me, uh, it says there, Therefore, you are inexcusable, O man, whoever you are who judge. For in whatever you judge another, you condemn yourself. For you who judge practice the same things. But we know that the judgment of God is according to truth against those who practice such things. And do you think this, O man, you who judge those practicing such things and doing the same, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and long suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? 
But in accordance with your hardness and impenitent heart, you are treasuring up for yourselves wrath in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God, who will render to each one according to his deeds eternal life to those who by patient continuance in doing good seek for glory, honor, and immortality, but to those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but are but obey unrighteousness, indignation, and wrath, tribulation, and anguish on every soul of man who does evil, of the Jew first and also of the Greek, but glory, honor, and peace to everyone who works what is good, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for there is no partiality with God. Okay, thank you very much, Paul. Uh, in this particular text here, I, I think that last verse actually kind of summarizes uh, God's dealing with what he talks about in this particular text here, that, that we need to be aware of that. Uh, but as we begin this, uh, our chat room question, and have you got that to put up here uh, as we begin here? Our first chat room question is, is as 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 uh, Paul deals with judgment here. What other passages would you appeal to to address proper and improper judgments in dealing with others? So, uh, so uh, uh, that's our question. And let's go ahead and get started a little bit with the verses that we are dealing with here. Uh, notice how Paul begins by saying "therefore." So he's kind of tying it to what he dealt with in the the last chapter, and and I kind of wonder if that has to do with how how there were those who thought they were better than these other individuals from a standpoint of their lives, and they had more hope because of that. Kind of like the Pharisee in Luke 18, uh, who goes to the temple to pray and brags about how wonderful he is. Uh, uh, but anyways, uh, our first question that I want to ask is, in verse number one, uh, what made this man inexcusable? Any thoughts on that? And everybody just step in, whoever wants to. Or I'll so I'll take that. So back in chapter one, uh, he made the comment that the uh, the righteousness of God is revealed by faith and the wrath of God is revealed from heaven. So his point is that if if the totality of God has been revealed, if God has made known everything that he's going to do, uh, if he has made it known that he is going to punish iniquity, and if he has made it known that there is a means to obtaining righteousness, then there's no excuse for anybody to say, they didn't know uh, what God's expectation of them was. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Ex exactly. And of course, the other thing we find in this is is uh, basically they condemn themselves. You know, don't forget that the, the reason they're inexcusable is is by their own actions. It, it's it's not God that makes them inexcusable. It's it's the choices that they have made and the attitudes and the and and uh, the way that they treat others that makes them inexcusable. So uh, any other thoughts in, in, in dealing with that? Okay, if not, uh, you know, Mike, in uh, uh, a question, uh, the, the, the second question we have for us in verses two through six, uh, we're told several things about the judgment of God. W what are some of the things we're told about his judgment in these verses? Well, I appreciate the, the opportunity, Tom. Uh, verse uh, two. We know that the judgment of God is according to truth. Verse 3, uh, God, is, as we'll learn a little later, God is no respecter of persons, but he says it, verse 3, uh, O man, who who are you to judge uh, those? Uh, o man, you 
to judge those practicing such things and doing the same thing, do you think you'll escape the judgment of God? In other words, God's going to be just as hard on the one that uh, passes some kind of judgment on another as he is on the one that, that is sinning. Uh, no respecter of persons under this judgment. At verse 4, uh, to despise the riches of God's judgment, forbearance and long suffering, the individual needs to know that God is good and leads an individual to repentance. So that's part of God's judgment. He wants folks to not sin, to come to a knowledge and obedience of the truth. And then at verse five, uh, their hardness of heart and impenitent heart, they were treasuring up for themselves God's wrath in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. In other words, they were rebelling against God's righteousness. And then finally at verse six, God will render to each one according to his deeds. So it's a fair and equitable judgment. It's not like man's. God's not partial in it. He's given us his law. Our job is to obey it. Yeah, very good. And, and that's a great summary. You kind of you touched on uh, the six points that I actually had. Uh, I have just a couple of comments. But before I do, does anybody else have comments? Any other thoughts on this? No, okay. Uh, well, well, if not, uh, uh, like I said, uh, uh, he, he pointed that out. Uh, it's kind of interesting when it talks about the goodness, forbearance, and long-suffering of God. You see how God's willing to wait. God is patient with us. He does not want us to perish. That's one of the observations that I would make in that. You know, even in dealing with these people who, uh, what we find in these verses, they're hypocritical. And And the only other really quick observation that I would make is, God's demeanor in dealing with us where judgment is concerned, the fact that he is long-suffering and so on, it ought to lead to our repentance. It ought to lead to us being willing to change. And if we are humbled the way that we ought to, I, this this past Sunday, I started preaching on the Beatitudes. And of course, you know, the, the, the very first ones are you, you, uh, you're poor in spirit and you mourn. And uh, uh, and that leads to your meekness. Those are qualities that uh, that are necessary at the beginning for us to be forgiven by God. Tom, and I think it's important as well. Leads to repentance. Oh, go I ahead, think Mike. it's important as well that we add the idea of God's long suffering here. Yes, it means patience. We don't use that word in our vocabulary much, but it means patience. Yeah. God is waiting for us to repent. He's given us every opportunity. But let's understand as well as in the days of Noah, uh, as in the days of Israel, uh, the tribe of Cory, for example, God's patience runs out. And we need to understand that one of these days, there, there's no more days. Right. God's patience is still there as long as time continues. Yeah, yeah very good. Now, and that also leads to another question we might think about. <coughs> How is it that the character of God leads to repentance? That's simply his desire that all men be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. Yeah, exactly. And, and I believe we also find in that the word of God, how he has shown us what we need. You know, I mean, when we look at the word of God and we learn, we, when we genuinely appreciate what he has done, uh, what he is willing to do. And when we think about that patience that he has, 
and, and, you know, a realization that in spite of who we are and how we sometimes sabotage ourselves, you know, he's still willing to forgive us if we will repent. And, mm -hmm. and, and for some, that causes us to humble ourselves to the point of being willing to repent. So that's what I see in that. In training our children, we don't give them just one chance. And so here, the things that are mentioned that you read about there, the, the forbearance and goodness and long suffering uh, that leads us to repentance is that uh, it gives us an opportunity, gives us time, and it helps us to learn more about God and to see his desire that we be saved. And so I, I think that's generally the idea. Yeah, exactly. Great, great point there to give consideration. Okay, any other thoughts on that? Okay, well, well, if not, uh, next the next question I would ask is, what awaits the one uh, who by patient continuous does good? Because what Paul does is he contrasts those that are doing good and those that are not. Well, what awaits the one that is doing good? And by good, he mean what does he mean by good? Uh, uh, Brian, you have any thoughts on that? Um, well, yeah, I, uh, I assume, you know, as we go on through here, as he talks about the glory, honor, and immortality in verse seven would be one of the things that awaits those who do good. That, uh, that's, that's where I would take that conversation. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and that's really the point that you have there. Uh, if you want to be rewarded by God, and that's ultimately the point that is there, you want to be rewarded by God, do good, and, and and the way that it's it's described there is by patient continuance you do good, which means that you can't give up, you can't quit, you can't retire from the doing good. You have to keep working at it, and and so you find that, and God notes that, and He will reward with glory, honor, and immortality those who do that. Hey, now Tom, on the other side of the Tom, coin, the answer the answer to your question, yes, is eternal life. Exactly. Yeah, eternal life is the ultimate answer there, and he it's, actually says that. Yeah, that's what I'm uh, saying. Seven. What awaits the one who by patient continuance does good? Eternal life. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, and sorry. all those other, well, and, and of course that's described in the glory, honor, and immortality. Well, but no, let me ask you this, though. Don't you think when he says, to those who by patient continuance in doing good seek for glory, honor, and immortality, isn't that what we're seeking for while we're here on this earth? And if we seek for that, then what that brings is eternal life, which I guess would be glory, honor, and immortality. Right. Yeah, and and and, and that's a good observation to make about that, John. That uh, we are we need to be looking for those things, yeah. and str and I guess maybe a better word than looking is striving for. Or you seeking. Know, I, I, I think yeah. I think of Colossians three verses one and two. I. I always love the illustration in verse one. He says, seek those things that are above. And then in verse two, he says, set your mind on things that are above. So you seek for it. And when you find it, you make up your mind that you're going to get it. So you need to work at it. So that's a good point, John. And, and while and while I have you here, John, uh, what awaits the self-seeking and disobedient? Well, he says it quite simply, indignation and wrath, tribulation and anguish exactly and why do you think paul would use words like that to describe what awaits them well it it is interesting that it shows a complete opposite of what awaits those who seek for glory honor and immortality okay the complete opposite brings about within this text here the indignation and the wrath of god and the tribulation and anguish that is associated 
with that. I mean, it's right. eternal right. punishment is what it boils down to. Yeah, and, and that's really the bottom line. So Paul's warning people it matters. Your attitude toward others and your actions matters. And, yeah. and, and, and that's really the point that he's boiling down to. And, and, and I think that even uh, Jew, I believe that the Jewish Christians, that is those who were converted to Christ, and, and you would call them Christians and so on, I think that a lot of them still had some attitude problems toward the Gentiles. They still had, they still had prejudices and so on. You know, I mean, yeah. it, it was not too long ago, and I suspect it's still true in places in America, and maybe not as prevalent, but probably 50, 60 years ago, uh, when we were wee little things, or even before us, there was a lot of racism in this country. And, 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 and there were a lot of professed Christians, uh, you know, give the example, white, who thought that blacks were inferior. You know, you know, as an example of that. And, and uh, they were just as dead wrong as the attitude of the Jews that Paul deals with in this particular text. So, so there's definitely a lot to be said about those things. Yeah. So, 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 so the warning, which side do you want to be on when it comes to the judgment of God? And, and then that kind of leads to verse number 11 and the last question in this section is what character of, of God, what characteristic of God do we find in verse 11? And Paul, what do you see there? Well, he says there's no partiality with God. Uh, later in this book, uh, we'll be told to behold the goodness and the severity of God. And so as we think about that, that's um, part of that is laid out here for us. Uh, but there's no partiality. God doesn't pick favorites. You know, if uh, <clears throat> we sometimes talk about, you know, uh, maybe with family, uh, that we're, we're thought of in a very good way. And so we're given preferential treatment. And maybe sometimes with, with our own family, we give people a pass on things that we hold others accountable for. Well, God doesn't operate like that. God uh, is going to look at what we've done. And so we don't we cannot earn uh, our salvation. We we know that. And but some of our our friends who don't uh, think we ought to ever talk about doing good, this passage says that 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 judgment is based upon uh, what we've done with, with the opportunity we've been provided to be saved, whether we've done the good or whether we've done those things that are unrighteous. And so uh, God's going to judge uh, with that kind of pure uh, idea of judgment, not just uh, say, oh well, I'm one of His favorites. I, I'm one of the the good guys, uh, but instead uh, he's going to look and he's going to determine who, who the good guys are and, and who are those who will be saved without any kind of uh, prejudice uh, in that. Yeah, exactly. I, I guess the way I would describe it is God's going to be fair. And, and, and the other thought that comes to my mind is how many of us, if we sit down and think about that, it ought to be something that causes us uh, concern. Or, or, or I don't know the word to use. There ought, there ought to be comfort in that, but there also ought to be a fear in that, you know, as we look at our own lives and so on. And uh, uh, because he is going to be fair in his judgment. And, uh, and how many of, of us sit there and think that God's going to look at me special? You know, uh, that, that he's going to overlook some things because of who I am, but he's not going to overlook you doing the same thing. And, and so I, I think that's kind of one, uh, the point that he's boiling down to in all of this. So any other thoughts on this section? Okay, if not, let's go back to the, uh, uh, the uh, chat room question. Uh, what other passages would you appeal to to address uh, 
judging, proper and improper judging. And I know there are several of them in the, and I, I'm not even dealing with the Old Testament, but in the New Testament, uh, <coughs> what are some passages and, and uh, did we get any, did we get any uh, responses to that? Okay, yep. Brian, you want to go ahead and deal with those? Or? Yeah, we sure did. Gregor Hinckley gave us the following. He cited Matthew chapter 7, verse 1. Judge not so that you will not be judged. And then he reminds us that it's quoted again in uh, James chapter 5 and verse 9. Okay. Uh, Gregor goes on to follow up with that to say, the only person I can judge is myself versus the image of Christ in the gospel. Though I fall short, God sees his son because of God's grace. So he kind of uh, makes a, 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 a application of some of that statement. Yeah, amen. And, th and that's an absolute truth. Uh, does any, any other any other posts? Uh, I, I, and, you know, like I said, there's a lot of verses that you could add to this. The only one that I, I would kind of add to this, John 7 and in verse 24, where Jesus tells us to judge with a righteous judgment. And, oh, oh, and another one that kind of came to my mind was James chapter 3 and verse number 1. And, and that's where <laughs> James warns, let not many of you be teachers knowing that he will receive the stricter judgment. I mean, if you look at this text or what we're about to read, they thought they were teachers you know, of other individuals. And with that, let's go ahead and go to the next section. John chapter or Romans chapter 2, verses 12 through 16. And Mike, could I get you to read those verses for me? Happy to do that. 12 through 16, I believe you said. Yes, 12 through 16. For as many have sinned without law will also perish without law. And as many have sinned in the law will be judged by the law. For not the hearers of the law are just in the sight of God, but the doers of the law will be justified. For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do the things in the law, these although not having the law, are a law to themselves, who show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and between themselves their thoughts accusing or else excusing them, in the day when God will judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. Okay, thank you very much. So so here we, we, uh, we note in this particular section here that... Uh, that uh, Paul is going to begin to, uh, for lack of a better term, defend the Gentiles. I, I, I think that's kind of the point that he wants to make here and point out that there are some that are worthy of consideration uh, of, because of their conduct and so on. Now, the chat room question that we have for this particular section here, and uh, this is an interesting one, is uh, are there different laws by which people will be judged before God? And of course, there's two uh, there's two approaches to that. One of them is looking at the history of mankind. Number one, and number two, what about today? So, so anyways, uh, uh, so what, what, look forward to your answers to that. And and having said that, uh, in verses twelve and thirteen, by what standard are we going to be judged, uh, Brian? Well, I'm glad you asked. Uh, I actually am going to go over to one of our chat comments. Dan Gatlin in the chat room brought us a passage, and it was actually in response to the last question about judgment, but it but it well answers the point that you have to say. He who rejects me and does not receive my words has that which judges him. The word that I have spoken will judge him in the last day. So Dan was both answering the last question and answering your question now, too, 
to tell us what it is that we have that will judge us. And that's uh, very much here what we have about the idea of what, what we will be judged by, the words of Christ. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And and the thing to remember in that is uh, we have no excuse because we have a standard. Which, uh, by the way, Paul's already talked about the the fact that we have no excuse over in Romans chapter 1 and in verse 20. And I think he'll get back to it a little bit later. So. So anyways, that's that's one of the points that we have in this particular text. Any other thoughts on that question? Okay, if not, uh, the next question I would ask is, what does Paul mean uh, when he says that even though the Gentiles do not have a law, they are a law to themselves? Tom, if I may, let me jump on that one for a minute. Please do. <laughs> the Gentiles did have a law. We call it the law of the fathers, the patriarchal law. It had been spoken by God to the father and the father to the son and that father to that son and on and on and on perpetually. They were not without a law. What they did not have was a written law that the Jews did have. The Jews could refer to a writing and say, God said this or God said that. Gentiles couldn't do that. They were simply doing what had been handed down from father to son through the generations, but started with God. The proof of that is when Jesus met with the Syrophine, or met with the uh, woman at Sychar at, at Jacob's well, and she said to Jesus, you say that we have to worship God in Jerusalem, but our fathers say we have to worship God in these mountains. They knew that there was God. They knew they had to serve God. Now, because they didn't have any written law, they had to understand by the traditions handed down through these generations what God expected morally, what God expected spiritually. Unfortunately, many of them were led into idolatry because they wanted something tangible. But what Paul's talking about are those Gentiles who understood God because of the traditions handed down from father to son, father to son, generation down through. They became that law unto themselves. They knew right from wrong, what Paul says. The Jews also knew right from wrong because of written law. The fact is both Jew and Gentile were both accountable to God, and we speak as Gentiles in time past. <laughs> My friends, we're Gentiles today, the most of us, and therefore all of us are amenable to the law of God. Since the Old Testament was taken out of the way when Christ died on the cross, Colossians chapter 2, and that would include the patriarchal law, as we call it, taken out of the way, all mankind now is subject to the law of Christ, better known to us as the New Testament. Right. Yeah, 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 exactly. And and uh, uh, the the only thing I would add to that, you know, as we find here in the text is, uh, is it, they showed, it says there, they showed the work of the law written in their hearts and their conscience also bearing witness. So there was something to be said about their attitude. And and, and it's clearly obvious that, that, that even the Gentiles, even though they didn't have the law of Moses, uh, well, Brian, they, they still had to be very, righteous. Brian brought up, brought up a very interesting point in our private chat. Yeah. Uh, these Gentiles, especially this woman in Sychar, those Gentiles, at least, were following the, the law of Jacob, if you will. Yeah. It was Jacob's well. So yeah. many generations back, 
they're going. They still claimed Abraham as their father in some regards, simply because, and, and they actually were. Uh, you got to remember, Abraham had two sons. One of them was the son of promise. Yeah. Now that opens up a big can of discussion that we don't have time for, but they did follow Jacob, if you will. They followed somewhat of Abraham and somewhat of Isaac. They also followed the traditions of the nations round about them, going into idolatry and those kind of things. We're, talk we're not talking about the idolaters. We're talking about the ones who still identified God as their superior. And those were the individuals of Gentiles that became a law to themselves. Yeah, I, yeah, I, 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 absolutely. And uh, another verse that would come to my mind in that is Acts 17, verses 30 and 31. Yes. You know, where, where Paul talks about truly these times of ignorance God overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to repent. You know, I, yes. I, I find it interesting. It, uh, the, the Old Testament gives hints as to various Gentiles who stood righteous before God or maybe somewhat righteous. You know, I, I even think of in the time of the patriarchs, I, I think of the, uh, of the Pharaoh with Joseph, the, the one that exalted Joseph. Uh, uh, we Reading read about down many later years and look at Cyrus. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Cyrus, Naaman. Uh, yes. Uh, and, and you, you could just look at numerous different examples. Uh, Rahab. Uh, and, yeah. and, and you did just go down the list that, that, that there were, there were Gentiles and even in foreign places that showed respect for God. Now, how did God deal with them? Well, that's up to God. He, you know, he, he, he knew what he was doing. He knows what he's doing, uh, from that standpoint. But but the point is is that God didn't just totally abandon the Gentiles when He chose the Israelites. Well, uh, there John was a added way for a, them to be saved. John added another good comment, and I think you need to turn over to him and let him explain that one. That, it's a tremendous comment he gave to us in our private chat. Yeah, go ahead, John. All yours. <clears throat> I was pointing out that the woman at the well, the, the Samaritans. We have to keep in mind they had the law of Moses. Yeah. Um, when they entered into the promised land under the leadership of Jacob, Jacob, not Jacob, Joshua, Joshua built, um, um, uh, an altar on Mount Ebal, uh, which I think later may have been moved to Gerizim because she comments how they worship in Gerizim. So they, you know, it was at the reign of Solomon after that, that the split happened and everything subsequent after that, they didn't, they didn't abide by. And since they could not go down to Jerusalem any longer because the northern nation had broke off, those Samaritans kind of reverted back to the days of Moses and Joshua when they had the altar on Mount Ebal. Yeah. For, as for what that's, whatever that may be worth. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and that is a great point. And, you know, another interesting thing when you talk about the Samaritans is, is, you know, don't forget who they were when you study their history. It's very likely that the Samaritans were what we would use the term converts. You know, uh, Whoever, whoever Babylon put there, uh, and intermarried in with the uh, the ones that might have remained. Yeah, 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 the ones who remained, as well as those who were put there. I guess by the Assyrians would Assyrians, be in, yeah. in that particular area. Yeah. Uh, uh, you know, whoever put them there, they learned some things about that area, and 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 by, they didn't learn the, they did not learn the whole truth, obviously, and. And we could go back into the discussion of uh, of uh, the the uh, 
the idols at Dan and Bethel that uh, Jeroboam put into place because they seemed to be there because that was the priest that they asked for. <laughs> and, uh, you know, uh, when they asked, what do we need to do because we're being attacked? But the point is, is they had some understanding of, of the one true God. I, I, I have no reason to doubt that, that uh, Jeroboam was basically teaching a monotheistic God, even though it was the wrong one. But I could be wrong with that. Uh, anyways, that's just some thoughts there. Well, any any uh, other thoughts that we have on this? Last on it, Tom. Keep in mind that God would have held, held the Gentiles accountable regardless. Because Paul says by inspiration here, they are a law unto themselves. Well, where there's no law, there's anarchy. Where there is law, there's accountability. To whom? God. Yeah, exactly. And Brian, did you have a point on this? No, uh, for the sake of time, we won't go any further. Uh, and I think Mike said it great. Maybe to add that the Gentiles specifically could be said to be under the law that was given to Noah, that when Noah was given a covenant in Genesis 9, we're told that that covenant was given to Noah and to all of his descendants. And there were laws that were a part of that. Uh, they were explicit and implicit. Uh, go a little further on and you see like Abimelech, in uh, what was it, Genesis 19, where uh, God told him, if you took the wife of another man, I'm going to put you to death for it. There's that guilty of breaking the law, you're going to die kind of thinking uh, for a Gentile who was under that both explicit and implicit law that I, I usually call it the covenant of Noah, just to, just to be specific. And then Michael said it very well that when he said that all of these things were done away with at Christ, that Christ, uh, in fact, I like to say Christ didn't just uh, nail the covenant of Moses to the cross. He nailed all the previous covenants to the cross. Uh, Abraham's, even Adam. Uh, the Bible talks about a covenant of Adam, even Adam, uh, Noah, all of those covenants. David, uh, Phineas, all of those covenants were nailed to the cross. That's a good point. Yeah, that's a good point to make in that. You know, so 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 when we look at that, uh, 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 that kind of leads to the question wrapping up this section here. By what did Paul say we would be judged uh, in the last day? Uh, verse 16. Or what would God... by Jesus Christ, and he says, according to his gospel. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, we're going to be judged by Jesus Christ and according to the gospel. Now, there's, there's some things to be said. Time won't permit it, but Paul says my gospel here. You know, it's not a gospel he made up, but it was personal to him. And that's the point. And, and there's something to, for us to, to be said about us appealing to my gospel, making the gospel ours. But can, it can I throw one, throw com one comment, Tom? Uh, yeah. Actually, let me go back to what Dan Gatlin said in the chat earlier uh, about Jesus saying that, that it was his words that would judge us. What we would want to understand is that think statements like his words, the gospel, the doctrine of Christ, that we want to we want to be clear they're all synonyms that there's not a distinction between the gospel or the words of Christ or that these are all all synonyms of one another they're all the same thing that that uh, there are some today who would say well the gospel is different than the doctrine is different than the words you know that that we might try to divide those things up but they're all synonymous with one another right that's a good that, that's a good point Brian okay uh um, so, uh, I think that about, uh, does this other than the fact that, uh, what do you think of with the expression, God will judge the secrets of men? Paul? 
Oh, well, uh, the idea there seems to be that you uh, can't keep any secrets from God. Well, what uh, God knows everything. He knows what's done in the dark. He knows what's done in the light. Uh, he Things that we wouldn't want anyone else to know, God knows. Uh, regardless of what it is, uh, God uh, is able to see and to know. And so sometimes you can fool people. Sometimes uh, you can keep uh, maybe something that would damage your reputation away from uh, others. But certainly God knows everything that happens. Right. Yeah. And, and that's definitely something for us to not forget. Uh, Hebrews 4.13, uh, you know, there's uh, no creature hidden from his sight. All things are naked and open to him. And David did a good exposition on that in Psalm 139, verses 7 through 12. So, so uh, um, any other thoughts on this section? Okay, if not, let's go back to the let's go back to the chat room question. And uh, uh, I guess, Brian, you want to address these or? Yeah. So our question was, are there different laws by which people will be judged before God? Uh, and Gregor Hinckley gave us an answer in our YouTube chat. Uh, not really. The standards are the same. They were still expected to behave in a similar manner. Paul alludes to this in First Corinthians when he speaks of sins not being seen among the Gentiles. Yeah, OK. And, 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 and that's kind of the point, of course, you know, we've actually discussed the differences between Gentiles and Jews, you know, pointing out. And like, like you made the point that the, 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 they were all nailed to the cross. So it, it was a matter of we've got to follow God. But if you ask that question about today, would the answer today be different than what it was during the time of the law of Moses? You know, I, I, I believe the answer would be yes, uh, considering the fact that we are all under the very same law. We're all going to be judged by the same standard. Uh, we've all got to do the same thing to be pleasing to God. Uh, it doesn't matter whether you're a Jew or a Gentile or a slave or free or a male or female. That sounds like a verse of the Bible, maybe Genesis 3.27. You know, for as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. So, okay, well, good. Uh, uh, if uh, if there's nothing else on this particular section here, let's go to the next section, which is verses 17 through 24. And Brian, could I get you to read those verses for me? Sorry about that. I'm trying to get my uh, Bible ready. This is what you get for looking at too many things at once. Uh, <laughs> Romans chapter 2, <clears throat> verses 17 through 24, New King James Version. Indeed, you are called a Jew and rest on the law and make your boast in God and know his will and approve the things that are excellent being instructed out of the law and are confident that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of babes, having the form of knowledge and truth in the law. You, therefore, who teach another, do you not teach yourself? You who preach that a man should not steal, do you steal? You who say, do not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who make your boast in the law, do you dishonor God through breaking the law? For the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you, as it is written. Okay, thank you, Brian, for reading that. Uh, uh, the question that we have for the chat room in this particular section is, what are some ways that the name of God can be blasphemed today? So, you know, uh, uh, what are some different names? Of course, Paul gives a specific in this section. And basically, this is a section where if you were going to be addressing 
the subject of hypocrisy, uh, this would be the section that you would go to in that. So, so we, we begin here uh, in, in verses 17 through about 20. Paul describes some qualities that are associated with the Jews. Uh, John, uh, uh, what would you think about that from these verses? What are some qualities that you see in these verses? Hmm. Ask, ask that one more time, Tom. I said, what are some qualities that you see in verses 17 through 20 as Paul describes the Jews here? And what I want us to notice in this is, are these good qualities? And which ones are good and which ones aren't? Okay. All right. <laughs> we'll make and it real kind of short and simple this week. Digress. <laughs> Let's see. Um, all right. He makes an interesting, interesting point in verse 17, how they rest on the law. And, and they make your boast in God. So they're very loyal to the law. That is their foundation. Um, they, they boast in God because God is their God. You know, not the God of other people per se, if you would, because they don't worship, worship him. And um, they, they, know, they know the law of God. They approve of the things that are excellent. They are instructed out of the law. They are confident that they are guides to the blind they're confident that they are light to those who are in darkness. They're confident that they are able to instruct the foolish. They can teach babes. And, and they have a form of knowledge and truth in the law. So that this is their confident, and rightly so in some ways, because in chapter 3 it talks about how God gave them the oracles and entrusted it to them. The problem is, for as much as they, they held themselves up in this respect, they were very guilty of not keeping those laws. Yeah, and 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 I I think that's the point. You know, uh, I have another thought about this, uh, or a thought going along. Does Does anybody else have any points before I deal with that? Well, if not, going once, going twice. Okay. Uh, 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 yeah, that's exactly right, John. You know, I I I look at verses seventeen and eighteen. And, and I see things that what I would describe as they were an advantage for where the Jews were concerned. And you've mentioned the things about that. There is something to be said about making your boast in God and resting on the law. That is following his law, knowing what he would, ha would have to do and approving of the excellent things uh, and so on. But where you start to see them deteriorating is in verses 19 and 20. And this comes down to the attitude. Now, we do need confidence in ourselves if we are able to help other people and so on. But in verses 19 and 20, you start seeing the arrogant attitude. You start seeing the I'm better than you type of an attitude as I'm going to tell you the way that you need to do this. And, and this is what you need to do. And, and you need to listen to me because I'm a Jew. You know, I have the law of God. So I can kind of see that arrogant confidence in verses 19 and 20 and, and, and the five things that he describes there, uh, 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 you know, uh, concluding with having the form of knowledge and truth in the law. We'll later on in this book talk about that having a form of something but denying its power. I think that's in another book. But, but anyway, any other thoughts on that? Was what they said true? Or should it have been true? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Should they have been... Uh a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of foolish people, 
a teacher of babes, uh, having uh, the form of knowledge and truth in the law, uh, that they were that kind of a, a pattern. The problem really seems to be, uh, in my my view here, uh, that may have been they may have had an attitude problem there, but that's what they should have been. The problem seems to be in beginning in verse 21 that they didn't do what they taught uh, right. as they tried to maybe teach someone who was um, in adultery, uh, the sin of adultery, that they were guilty of the same. Uh, stealing, uh, robbing temples, abhorring idols, you know, things like this. It seems to be their hypocrisy that is what is being condemned. Right. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and you just kind of answered my next question here. You know, what, what was the ultimate point that Paul was getting to in verses 21 and through 23? And, and you just mentioned it. It's hypocrisy. You know, th this is a verse that shows that, you know, shows from the standpoint, you know, are you teaching yourself? Uh, you know, you, you tell others not to steal. Are you stealing? You know, uh, uh, don't commit adultery. Are you committing adultery? Are you robbing temples and various things uh, along that line? Do you dishonor God by breaking the law that you brag that you're following? And 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 isn't it kind of interesting? How a lot of times, a lot of times associated with hypocrisy is the idea of somebody that uh, you kind of define for yourself what is right and wrong, and uh, rather than letting God define it. And and so you know what? Well, uh, you know I may cheat on my taxes, but. I'm not going to go into my neighbor's house and steal from them. Therefore, I'm not a thief. Yeah, Tom, the, the, one of the issues here is a holdover uh, from the Pharisees uh, that we see. And that seems to be the idea that uh, I've got a set of rules for myself and a set of rules for other people. And, uh, you know, uh, Jesus talked to the Pharisees about that, about how they uh, would set up and make uh, hard and bind hard things on others. Uh, while they had special exemptions for themselves. And so it, um, that, that's always something that's condemned in Scripture, is having two sets of rules, uh, one for yourself and one for others. Right. And, and, and I totally agree with that. I, I do believe that one of the problems that Paul dealt with so extensively because he went to the Gentiles and he had to explain to the Jews over and over and over why he went to the Gentiles, I think he was dealing with a lot of Jews who had that pharisaical mentality instilled in them that they were better than the Gentiles. And, uh, 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 but yet, like you said, they had a double standard. You know, we can do certain things. And, and, and my point is, I think we can be guilty of the very same thing in our own lives. We, we can be guilty of, of uh, making a, making a two-tiered standard, and uh, we drop ourselves under that. You know, I, you know, I, I think how many Christians today and uh, I don't know how, how many Christians today, you know, you talk about there's a line that you cannot cross. Uh, you cross over before you will be guilty of sin. How many Christians, number one, try to get as close to that line as they can without crossing over it? Or number two, because they don't like the line, they move it just a little bit. And 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 they're somewhere between where they have moved the line and where the line actually ought to be, and and uh, uh, I, I see that as you know kind of I, I think the way these some of these Jewish brethren were. Any other thoughts on that? Okay, so what does God think about hypocrisy? And we've we've actually kind of probably one of the biggest sins going. 
Yeah, it, 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 exactly. I, 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 I think I think it's a I think it's a very very big deal where God is concerned. You know, I know God doesn't categorize sins, and neither should we. But but there's something to be said the way that God views somebody who knows better. You know, it, some, it, Tom, hypocrisy. The Lord described hypocrisy by comparing it to animals. Yeah. He said it is wolves in sheep's clothing. Great description there. Yeah. Uh, you know, in Matthew 23, you want, you want to know what Jesus thinks about the hypocritical examples of the Jewish leaders. Read Matthew 23. I think, I think it's what, seven times or uh, seven or ten times he uses the word hypocrites in that chapter. Yeah. You know, to describe them. So, I mean, it's a scathing indictment. One of the strongest things we have recorded that Jesus said, and it was dealing with this corrupt hypocrisy and so on. So we, we need to understand that, that that God, he wants some consistency in our lives. And if we're living hypocritical lives, uh, you know, you are out of favor with God until you change that. And and and, and that's really the point to consider in that. And so, so uh, you know, and... and uh, uh, what is the spiritual result, according to verse 24, of the one who acts hypocritical? And, and the answer to that is the name of God is blasphemed because of you, which brings us to our chat room question. So go ahead and bring that up. Uh, what are some ways that the name of God is blasphemed today? And what kind of answers did we get on that? So Gregor gave us a few uh, different thoughts on this. He said, uh, deny his existence, proclaim a separate gospel. And then he just described as defined as any requirements out that the proclaiming a separate gospel defined as any requirements outside the gospel of Christ is proclaimed by the apostles. Yeah, exactly. Any other thoughts on that or anybody else have any thoughts on that? I, I, I just want us, I just want us to remember in this, that when we are hypocritical, God's name is blasphemed, and, and, and people are turned off when they see inconsistencies. You know, I, I think that's one of the things that we're warned about in Second Peter or in First Peter as well, and all those passages where he talks about the Gentiles speaking evil about you, and you live your life in such a way where you don't give them cause. You know, I, I think that boils down to hypocrisy or, or living your life consistent with what you say. Uh, quickest way to turn somebody off is to tell them to do something, but don't do it yourself. And by the way, parents need to listen to that as well as everybody else, preachers, elders, uh, you know, anybody. And, and, and so, so that's a thought. Any final thoughts on this section? It's one of the thoughts that we have brought forth when uh, Christians, uh, when the church has to exercise discipline, is part of that is, is that there are things that uh, go on that if the community around us thinks that we just tolerate and we just put up with, they'd say, well, how different are they really than, than everyone else? We see that at Corinth with the man caught in adultery. We see that at Thessalonica with those who weren't working but were busybodies. Uh, and, and there's correction that has to be made. Sometimes we call that bringing shame and reproach upon the church or upon the Lord. Uh, that may describe a biblical thing, but, but we understand that there is a, a certain standard that Christians are to live by, and when they don't do that, uh, that they are uh, creating a reason. Another place where we read about uh, that when we, we don't live according to that standard, we don't hold ourselves to that standard, we're hypocritical, uh, that we, we do uh, 
give an opportunity for the unbeliever to blaspheme. Right. Yeah, exactly. Exactly right. All right. So anyways, uh, uh, we've, we've got one more section. I know we're running up on the hour here, but we've only got about five more verses. So let's, if it's okay, let's go ahead and cover this. We ought to be able to get through this in less than 10 minutes. Uh, uh, John, could I get you to read these last five verses? John, or Romans 2, 25 to 29. We'll do, Tom. The Apostle Paul writes, For circumcision is indeed profitable if you keep the law. But if you are a breaker of the law, your circumcision has become uncircumcision. Therefore, if an uncircumcised man keeps the righteous requirements of the law, will not his uncircumcision be counted as circumcision? And will not the physically uncircumcised, if he fulfills the law, judge you who, even with your written code and circumcision, are a transgressor of the law? For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart, in the spirit, not in the letter, whose praise is not from men, but from God. Okay, thank you, John, uh, for reading that. Uh, and the chat room question real quick is, in, one, in what sense are we circumcised to today? So when you look at that particular question there, and then and there's a reference to Colossians 2, verses 11 and 12, you can also look at that uh, in dealing with that and whatever other thoughts you have. And just kind of real quickly as we begin to wrap this up, you know, uh, 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 under what conditions uh, does Paul say that circumcision is profitable? If you keep the law. If you keep the law, and, and I would add one word to that, uh, and that really comes to question number two. What was the problem with that? They weren't keeping no the law. No one could. Yeah, they weren't keeping the law, or at least they weren't keeping it perfectly. And, and, and the point is, is when you become a transgressor of the law, you are in trouble. And, uh, and uh, we will have plenty of time to develop that as we get later on into the book of Romans, because he deals with that and like chapters 7 through 10, you know, he's, he's talking about that. So we'll deal more with that at that, at that time, that, that, that the, improf, the improfitability of being a Jew from the standpoint of they could not keep the law. So, so uh, uh, that would just lead to how is an uncircumcised man who is righteous, uh, how is he going to judge the Jews? Um, you know, because you know, I think what's about interesting that, about that. 27, 28. Right? Uh, I think what's interesting about that passage is at the very beginning of the chapter, we were talking about judgment. And, you know, for some, they might say, well, he's telling us not to judge here. But but actually what we see now is that he's been bringing us to the place where uh, the concept of the righteous judgment. You, you mentioned that before out of the book of John, the, the concept of the righteous judgment. And he says, now the uncircumcised man judges you and he judges you because he kept the law and you did not. So the concept is, you know, the Bible many times talks about how we who are faithful to God will judge the world. First Corinthians chapter five, chapter six speaks about this idea. Um, and it's kind of confusing at the same time when you have these contrasted with this concept of an unrighteous judgment. But what he seems to be saying here pretty clearly is that when we keep the law, it is by the nature of keeping that law, judging those who do not. So, you know, and I've often said that that by Jesus keeping the law, he has the ability to judge all men, you know, that 
that that sense is is bestowed upon him that there can be no accusation that God is unfair. At the same time, when when others keep the law that we do not, they are judging us uh, without without a word, without a intention. They're judging us because they keep that law. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, I I kind of think that's the point when when uh, when Jesus talks about. Uh, uh, you know, his his apostles are going to judge people and so on. It's the same type of an idea where other people are going to judge, judge angels and, and judge other things. Because, and the point is, uh, the point is, is by your righteous life, you're indicting people. And in reality, when you keep the law, what you're telling people is that they can keep the law. And when they don't do it, it's basically by choice. And that's why when you break the law, you're guilty. You know, period. You know, as you as you stand before God, and so you need to deal with it. So we find that taking place in there, and 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 uh, that kind of leads to this final question that I have for all of us, the panel, and so on is is how does Paul describe the true circumcision in verses twenty eight and twenty nine? Circumcision of the heart. Uh, in another place, we read about this that. Uh, some folks are referred to as uncircumcised in heart and ears. Uh, and uh, here, while the Jews place great confidence in the flesh, uh, here uh, this circumcision is transitioned uh, by faith into circumcision of the heart uh, and uh, having a pure heart before God, having all uncleanness uh, taken away. Right. Yeah, yeah exactly. And again, this, this is a point that we're going to develop in much greater detail as we get into some later chapters in the book of Romans. I, I actually see this section as Paul kind of introducing what he is going to address in the doctrinal section of this book, which is chapters 4 through uh, 11. Uh, if, you don't, if you don't count his all have sinned and, and, and these three is a part of the doctrinal because it certainly is. So anyways, uh, that's what you have here. It, 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 it's the one who is inwardly doing what is right. And don't you think for a moment that God did not think the heart of the Jews was important. It was not just mere ritual. The reason they condemned themselves so often was because their heart was not right. And, and that's what led to so much corruption. All right, so so with that, I've kind of got it wrapped up. Uh, other than let's go back to the chat room question here, unless anybody has any comments. So in what sense are we circumcised today? Any answers? Go ahead, Brian. Yeah, we do. Uh, Craig oh, Hingley gave us an answer in our YouTube chat. He says uh, circum circum uh, circumcised, uh, he has circumscribed, I think he meant circumcised, in the Holy Spirit, Colossians 2.11, which says, uh, In him you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Yeah, it, 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 ex exactly. And, and of course, he, and he kind of makes a little bit of a comparison between baptism and circumcision. You know, I, I hesitate to say that baptism is circumcision, but it's compared, it's compared to circumcision and, and how circumcision was... Uh, was a sign of a covenant. It was entering into a covenant. It was the thing that took place at that time and, and various things that are associated with that. And, and uh, I, I just appreciate how Paul over there in Colossians, he ties it to being baptized. And when you, when you bring that back to these verses here, you know, we find that it is a spiritual circumcision. 
uh, we're, we're, we're putting off the old flesh and putting on the new man in the act of baptism. And, and ultimately, it, it, it's in the spirit. Oh, so, we'll make the argument with the Galatians in chapter 3 that those who are really today the sons of Abraham are those who believed in that promise uh, that in his seed every nation of the earth would be blessed and those who walk by faith. Right. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, um, okay. Well, thank you, everybody. And uh, surprise, I got through it all in one week. <laughs> so, so with that, I'm going to turn it back over to John. Thank you, Tom. I appreciate you leading us through this study and does bring us to the end of Romans chapter 2. Something I'd like to point out real quick as we pull the study to a brief close. Keep in mind that there, Paul is developing an equality between the Jews and the Gentiles because the Jews had willingly rejected the law of God. Hebrews chapter 8, in talking about why there was a need for a new covenant, he says, for finding fault with them. And what is interesting in what we just looked at in this text here, he is saying you know, here you've rejected the law of God and here you have these Gentiles who have obeyed it. They are now circumcised and you are uncircumcised. Um, but when we hit chapter three, he's going to then ask her question, well, well, what profit then did the Jews have? And there's so much in every way because to you were entrusted the oracles of God. And so he'll remind them that, yes, you know, they, it was important what they had, but they just didn't follow it the way they should have. So... Thank you so much for joining us for our study today. Gentlemen, looks like we are going to bring this to a close. We will continue this next Wednesday, Lord willing, with Romans chapter 3. And Brian, is that you? I believe it is, yes. Okay, Brian, chapter 3. See if he'll get it all done in one week. So far, Tom is ahead because I had to take two weeks. <laughs> for yeah, we, we ought to be ashamed for doubting Thomas. I <laughs> <laughs> hey, I doubted myself. Ah. <laughs> All right. All righty. Well, that'll be next Wednesday then at 11 o'clock a.m. Central Time. And if you're in the United States in the Eastern Time Zone, that's at noon. 9 a.m. on the Pacific Coast. 10 a.m. Mountain Time. That's right here at live.truthfactor.com. Have a wonderful week. <laughs>